This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt's Plane. Of course, I am not the Matt's Planer. He is with us in just a few moments. Uh, now, $70 million for a JPEG. No, it's it's not a joke. It's the price uh, of a piece of digital art backed by a form of cryptocurrency called NFT and raised at a Christie's auction earlier this month. And wondering how he missed such an obvious opportunity for a scam of course, is the Matt Splainer himself, Matt Armitage. Matt, finally, you're ready to tell us about NFTs and give us your version. I am, Rich. I'm really excited to be chatting today. Uh, I love the NFT. In fact, you know, I really love the entire Thames South Bank complex in London. It's a fantastic place to go for film and theatre and museums. Uh, it was initially opened in a temporary building at the Festival of Britain in 19... 19- Matt, Matthew, I mean... You know, not that NFT, not that one, you know, not not the National Film Theatre, non-fungible tokens. The subject that I've been trying to get you to talk about for weeks and you've been running away from, not to mention that you were just reading out a Wikipedia entry. Tell us about non-fungible tokens. Okay, I guess this isn't the time for me to make my joke about NFTs being a a form of uh, laboratory cultivated mushrooms then. Um, Okay, uh, thankfully, I do have some notes on the wrong type of NFTs Mm. because I maintain that the National Film Theatre is the right and proper NFT and that history will determine which one we're still using in 50 years' time. Uh, Hint for you. It has seats and it shows movies. Uh, In fact, in 50 years' time, I'm expecting that the biopic of my life will probably be regarded as a masterpiece on par with Citizen Kane. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, Whenever we start talking about anything to do with cryptocurrencies and blockchains, and NFTs are, are not exactly a cryptocurrency, but they are part of this digital transaction ecosphere. So whenever we start talking about this topic people panic. Yeah. It's kind of like the quantum computing of money. The more you think about it, the more twisty and complex it gets. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you start off thinking that you're looking for that proverbial needle in the haystack. And the longer you search, the more you realise that what you're actually doing is more like looking for an atom in a universe. All right. Well, let's do the basics first. Before we get into what NFTs are and how they work, Why are they suddenly big news? Well, this is sort of why I've avoided the story up until now, because it's not just one huge story. The overnight popularity of digital art, its sudden acquisition of values of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, it's not just the digital artist people selling a package of works for close to $70 million at that Christie's auction. It's a lot more than that. It's multiple enormous stories piled up on top of each other. Mm. So the challenge has been editing my own thoughts down so that I can give each element at least a little bit of detail without glossing over too many areas. 
So this boom we're seeing in NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and digital art at the moment is mirroring a lot of the speculative behavior that we're seeing in global markets. We're in this weird situation of the coronavirus causing severe economic hardship for tens of millions of people, yet we're seeing all this speculative money causing surges in markets. So, in a way, the story about NFTs is also linked to GameStop and outlets like Robinhood and Reddit's uh, Wall Street Bets forum. Well, although, you know, let's be clear, they're not physically linked. It's the flows of money that are linked. Mm. So not necessarily the places where the money lands. You know, think of them as islands in this kind of ocean of explorative money. We're seeing the results. Uh, Look at the surging prices for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. The rise in terms of value and visibility, at least, of SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies, which are essentially public holding companies that look for other companies to acquire, thus taking those third-party companies public. We're seeing it in the volatility of the market for collectibles and memorabilia, especially for things like baseball cards. But that doesn't explain why we're seeing this surge. Well, that's kind of beyond the remit of today's show and something that BFM's proper business coverage handles. So for our purposes... It's partly due to things like government stimulus packages. Payments have gone out to people who desperately need money. In some countries, those payments have also gone out to people who may not have such a desperate need for the money. Mm. But that is the purpose of a stimulus. It doesn't just benefit the person you give it to. It's supposed to be injected into the economy to spread those benefits around. And you think that's what's uh, disrupted the risk profile of uh, investors and markets? Again, you know, I apologize for talking in generalizations today, but it's the only way to get through everything. So nobody needs uh, me to tell them this, but traditional long-term investments like government-backed bonds are offering low or even negative interest rates. At the same time, as you mentioned, with apps like Robinhood, we now have a generation of apps that makes it very easy, as in one click easy Mm. to trade stocks and crypto assets. So we have all of this money attached to a risk profile that's looking for non-traditional investments where there are high returns to be made. Mm. And you only have to look at the doge troll in chief, Elon Musk, to see how a few simple tweets can cause surges in specific assets. Yeah. Uh, And before we drift too far into one of your alternative universes, Um, Can we just give a quick explanation as to what NFTs are for people who might not know? Well, we have to break those words down. So non-fungible and token. Mm. So the token part is quite self-explanatory. Think of it as a, a bookmark or a poker chip that's part of the blockchain, which I think is probably actually quite confusing, uh, a poker chip in a digital chain. So I'll do it the other way around. So the blockchain is a distributed ledger. So it's like a giant account book with all the transactions recorded on it. Uh, Don't try and think about it any deeper than, than that for now. Each token in that blockchain is an item on that chain and every transaction made with that token is recorded. So that's where the poker chip comes in. And the bookmark? I just want to encourage people to read. Uh, So (laughs) we know what a digital token is. For ease of reference, uh, we'll call it one unit of the blockchain it's attached to. And that's what brings us to the important bit, which, of course, is the mushroom bit. Fungible. 
Yeah, so a coin, any real-world coin, is an example of a fungible token. All 50-cent coins are the same. They have the same value. They have the same purpose. So the person you exchange them with for goods, they're going to be happy with that transaction. Mm. You've given them a form of payment, an asset that they understand and they trust. Uh, Bitcoin operates in the same way because all Bitcoins have the same value. So if I take a 50-cent piece and I swap it for a 50-cent piece that you have, you're probably not going to care because one coin is the same as all the others. They're fungible, so they can be swapped for each other. Unless, of course, they're counterfeit coins. Well, of course, and this is why the story is so huge, but we'll come back to the counterfeiting part later. A non-fungible token is one that doesn't have the same value as another one. They're unique rather than interchangeable. Although the process of generating them is the same as generating any other form of cryptocurrency. But the token itself isn't inherently valuable. Mm. It takes its value from the item that it's been attached to. So you can think of NFTs as a bit like being digital watermarks. And that's partly why they're so attractive to the art market, because it's a digital signature that says that the piece it verifies is original. It sits on that ledger. It says this token is linked to a GIF showing Richard Bradbury making cheese toast. Huh. That's, huh. yeah, I do my research. And you saw that, uh, that's especially <laughs> That's especially important with digital works and art forms, which can easily be copied and passed around. And by making that GIF unique, it makes it easier to trade and to accrue or lose value. So are NFTs cryptocurrencies and where do they come from? Well, again, lots of stories in one question. So the simple answer is yes, they are a form of cryptocurrency. But that crucial part, as I said, is that they're non-fungible. They aren't all the same. So it's easier to ignore that part a bit because the idea of a currency that doesn't behave like money is a little bit slippery. Mm. But where the things actually come from is easier. Historically, there have been various efforts to create this kind of watermark within the blockchain sphere. There have been a, a couple related to Bitcoin that have been launched since uh, 2012. But the problem has been embedding the information about the item that it represents in the script of the coin itself. That was resolved by Ethereum, another cryptocurrency, in 2017. And that gives us the NFT as we currently understand it. So CryptoKitties, a kind of Tamagotchi-like digital kitten, were the first product, I guess, to extensively use the Ethereum protocol in this way. It's really fun. Go look it up. I'm not going to go into it here. And where do they physically come from then? Where do they live? Those really are questions that, for the sake of your brain, you should probably park for another day. Uh, NFTs are mined like cryptocurrencies. I'll just leave it at that. Let's say you want to attach an NFT to that GIF of cheese toast. You don't have to physically mine that token. You can go onto one of the huge number of sites that are springing up to deal in digital art, and you simply buy that token. So usually the prices are within the $10 to $100 price range, although that is fluctuating, of course, according to demand. That fee is known as a gas fee. You're essentially paying the miner who created the token. And with a couple of clicks, your digital work is now associated with that token 
and is ready for sale. Now, I do have another question for you about this, but we'll have to take a break and come back after that. Of course, you are tuned into to Matt Splained with me, Rich Bradbury, and of course, Chief Matt Splainer himself, Mr. Matt Splain, Matt Armitage from Culture Pop. We'll be right back in just a few moments here on BFM 89.9. Beautiful, festive moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. You are tuned into Matt's Plane, of course. I'm on the phone with Matt Armitage from culturepop.com. We're talking about NFTs today. Uh, Matt's Plane and mushrooms, rather. Uh, we're talking about non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and a $60 million artwork. Well, ignoring my jokes about you and Toast, uh, you've been exploring this world yourself, I believe. I have. I mean, I first heard about NFTs um, a couple of years ago, like you mentioned, with CryptoKitties and, and something else, and didn't really think much about it. And then um, I kind of saw where it was evolving and was interested in uh, the technology behind it and what it could be used for. And then, of course, it exploded. And I thought, well, it'd be interesting to kind of get involved in this, see how it works and see how I can quote unquote contribute. Um, so I created a piece of artwork, put it on the blockchain and put it up for one of these um, auctions just to see how it would go as, as part of a kind of social experiment. And as you can probably imagine, nobody knows who I am. It didn't sell. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's there. People can always come back to it, especially if they hear this episode. They That's can, right. They can search it out. And, uh, you know, you've made your bonus for the year. There you go. But that, that brings me back to the unanswered part of your question before the break. Uh, is your toast then a part of that token on the blockchain itself? Mm. So the short answer to that is no, because the information it would require would be enormous. Many years ago, I spoke to Joshua Davis, uh, a fine artist and digital art pioneer, about the way he, he makes his works with algorithms. And he told me that unless he uh, flattened them, his algorithms produced so many layers that opening them would shut down the computer network at the commercial print works that handled his works. And that same theory holds true for the blockchain. Mm. Imagine if you marked the... Uh, the, the CAD plans for a skyscraper with an NFT, you could be looking at terabytes of data attached to a single token. So that would slow the entire system down and it would put enormous hosting and handling requirements on the chain itself. Mm. So think of it more as though your work is registered to that token. The details of that token will take you to where the work itself resides. So that's usually on a, a server linked to that chain. Uh, to save yourself the headache, you can think of it a bit like being a vault or a safety deposit box where the physical work itself is held. Uh, so we've, we've kind of skirted around this in the first part, but why has this digital art, why has digital art rather embraced NFTs with such enthusiasm? Well, people, the artist whose work is selling for these enormous sums is a good example. He's been releasing digital art on a daily basis. Uh, his work generally has a satirical pop culture edge. He's been releasing every day for about a decade. Mm. 
the problem for a lot of digital artists is how to make money from that work. Mm. So I can look at the Mona Lisa on a computer screen, but I'm not looking at the actual work. If I look at Beeple's work on a screen, I am looking at the actual work mm. because it was designed for that medium. Other than making it available at higher resolutions or offering physical prints, how do you differentiate any versions that you want to sell from the version that you can consume free of charge. Mm. So that's where the NFTs come in. A digital artwork is now unique and the owner has the certificate, the non-fungible token to prove it. And that in turn makes it a more saleable, although as you explained with your own attempt, <laughs> not necessarily more valuable uh, commodity to, uh, to promote. So what do you get uh, when you buy a piece of NFT artwork? Well, that depends on the artist. So Beeple's works come with a really cool digital display frame. You also get lots of other weird extras like locks of his hair. I guess that's as a DNA sample, another uh, authentication uh, process all in this really impressive presentation case. But you can do that when you're selling works for thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. Mm. So it's very much up to the individual artist what you do or don't get as part of that NFT package. You might just get that image, that JPEG itself. So Richard, you might be kind enough to send somebody a slice of cheese toast to anyone that buys your toast gift. Mm. Um, but if you buy someone's works for not much more than they've spent on buying that token to authenticate it, you're probably not going to get a lot of added uh, added value. Mm. But what's also interesting is that artists can structure the way they sell in a lot of different ways. Like um, drops and uh, timed auctions. Yeah, um, there's a huge number of models. So obviously you can sell a work as a single edition, a one-off. You can sell it as a limited number of editions, you know, a numbered edition. Because on the collector market the higher the number of that repro, say number seven rather than 77, it then attracts a, a higher price. And as you mentioned, drops are becoming increasingly popular. So similar to the limited edition drops that streetwear brands like Supreme operate, mm. that might include uh, an auction for those one-off works, uh, an auction for those numbered copies as well. But it might also include limited duration sales. So certain items in the catalogue maybe on sale for, say, an hour or five minutes if it's a really popular seller. And that work will sell as many copies at a reserve price as people can buy within that time, all backed, of course, by an NFT, whether it's 10 copies or 10,000 copies. All sounds a little bit ad hoc and experimental. Totally. I mean, it's a, a, an emerging market. So Beeple is an established digital artist, but he's only been using NFTs for his work since last October. So that's how fast we're seeing this market evolve. He's now one of the most financially successful living artists, all in the space of six months. Yeah. So new retail and marketing models are being added to the NFT sphere all of the time. So nothing about this is concrete. Nothing is set in stone. And what about copyright? Do you own the rights to the works that you buy? That's actually a really important point. So typically, no, you own that artwork and the NFT that's attached to it. 
What rights you have depend on the terms and conditions of the site that you buy from and the conditions that are set by the author of the work. Mm. So the rights holder may have the right to uh, issue later editions of that work. They reserve the right to commercially exploit that work. You, as the buyer, own that individual copy. You have the right to display it and sell it on. And whatever other limited rights that the rights holder assigns to you. So on that subject of resale, I buy it, I own it. Presumably, if I sell the work on, I then keep the proceeds, right? Well, again, it's site dependent. So it depends on those terms and conditions. You know, that's part of our digital life. Typically, 10% of any resale goes back to the artist. So that's great because it essentially creates a royalty tale. Mm. With a lot of uh, traditional art, the artist doesn't benefit after that first sale. So the artist gets to earn from that work in the same way that a a songwriter does using NFTs. Mm. And because it's on a blockchain, you can't easily dodge paying those fees because the transaction is always logged. All right. So, so far we've looked mainly at uh, digital artists. Is this model useful for other art forms or, or works? Absolutely. You know, anything you can digitize, you can attach to an NFT. That's partly why I used that example of, uh, say, a GIF of you making cheese toast, because Mm. video can become NFTs. There was the case this week, uh, Jack Dorsey of Twitter turned his first ever tweet into an NFT, which was bought by a Malaysia-based businessman for close to three million US dollars. Grimes, the artist and musician, sold digital artworks worth around $6 million in February. Kings of Leon, the uh, indie band, are launching their new album as two forms of non-fungible token. And the US DJ and producer Blau made over $11 million in a weekend during a recent sale of his music. Mm. So there's enormous potential for all sorts of artists to sell their work as NFTs and to bypass a lot of the traditional networks that typically see the artists receive quite a small percentage of any revenues that their works generate. Now, earlier on, you mentioned counterfeiting. Uh, and one of the strong selling points of, of blockchain technology is that it can't be copied or, or counterfeited. Well, yes, that's true. But what we've also seen is the emergence of a kind of NFT grey market. So Jack Dorsey's tweet is a good example. I can take that tweet and turn it into an NFT and sell that token. Or I can take a copy of Beeple's artwork and do the same. Some artists have complained that their works have already been bootlegged in this way. Mm. Uh, Banksy, of course, has been quite extensively bootlegged via NFTs. And it's doubly easy because his identity is a secret. But turning uh, an artwork into an NFT doesn't constitute ownership. So it goes back to what we were saying about copyrights. So while I can grab that gif of you making toast and turn it into an NFT, I can't claim ownership of it. Mm. But the person buying it doesn't necessarily know that they've bought a grey work. Once again, This is an area where technology is several steps ahead of the lawmakers. And everyone is acknowledging that this is, you know, kind of the Wild West. So it's definitely something to approach with caution if you're a newbie. Could you see NFTs eventually being used to authenticate real world items? 
Well, we're sort of already there. So companies like WiseKey are already providing protocols that would allow you to tokenize real-world assets. Nike, interestingly, got in on this back in 2019. Its CryptoKicks platform is blurring those lines between the real world and the virtual. Holders of some CryptoKicks tokens can collaborate with each other to create new shoes. So those shoes could end up being used in open worlds, games, movies, in that kind of digital sphere. Mm. But Nike may even bring some of those ideas into the real world as production shoes. So for companies, it's a really interesting model. They can engage their customers in that design and market testing process and then reward or share royalties based on the tokens. So on this subject of of where this goes from here, and I I guess as as a final question, are we expecting prices for NFT-linked works, creative works, to continue this um, upward trend? And do you think this technology um, is here to stay? Well, I really wanted to talk about the environmental cost of NFTs as part of this discussion as well. Mm. But, you know, I think that's a bridge too far for one episode. We'll come back to that and explore other forms of digital identification maybe next week or the week after. So I don't expect that these crazy prices will continue. I echo Kara Swisher at the uh, New York Times who said uh, in a recent column that she likens this to the Web 1.0 gold rush. This bubble will pop. It might be next week. It might be next year. It might be next decade. Markets tend to converge towards some kind of stable equilibrium at some point. And all that speculative money that we talked about in the first part of the show is constantly looking for new non-traditional investment opportunities with really high returns to exploit. And that second part, are NFTs a fad that will fade or, or is this something that's likely to define the way we work in the future? This has the power to be a transformational technology, I think, for a number of reasons. That's one of the reasons it's unfortunate that we can't explore that environmental cost aspect Mm. because NFTs are likely to become an increasingly useful tool. It's the structure of a a lot of current blockchain technology requiring intensive amounts of uh, energy to mint coins and tokens. This is what needs to be revised. Mm. So as I said, anything that can be digitized can be an NFT and some things that are in the real world as well. But that's very useful when you apply it to uh, games and open world platforms, for example. It means that you could buy one-off couture from Dior for your avatar. You could buy exclusive furniture pieces by well-known designers. And you could decorate your virtual home with one-off works by Richard Bradbury, Banksy, or Grimes. Mm. You know, it could be a way to combat the tide of fake news, by verifying where content comes from, although that current process for generating the tokens would make it prohibitive for, say, uh, an organization like the New York Times to mint a coin for every single article they publish. Right. Um, So you can see it expanding far beyond its current uses. Absolutely. I mean, you can imagine it replacing patents and trademarks to some extent, or at least becoming a requirement in order to establish and register those marks, the NFT being that first proof of concept or ownership. So what we're creating is essentially a new language for content, which in turn creates a new conversation about the way we own and share that content. 
And it's also, and I think this is very important, a gateway to cryptocurrencies for the average consumer. Most people have never used Bitcoin, Dogecoin or Ethereum, partly because you can't really buy things with them, because that speculative activity around them makes them more useful as an investment asset rather than as a medium of exchange. NFTs provide that pathway into cryptocurrencies for ordinary people. They help to grow that familiarity with wallets and with using the blockchain, which in turn will make it easier for people to adapt to and adopt the coming generation of government-backed crypto and digital currencies. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Matt. Of course, you, My pleasure. you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at Culture Matt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about Culture Pop and its consulting services. And of course, if you missed any part of this show, it is available to download via the BFM app. That is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. For BFM 89.9, I'm Richard Bradbury. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.